following podcast is brought to you by Reformed Church of the Holy Trinity. Dedicated to standing firm for the ancient faith and against the ancient foe until Christ is all in all. Thank you for listening to Standing Firm. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to our little efforts to proclaim and to stand for the truth of God's Word. Although we deal with many disheartening topics, we want to be an encouragement to you to stand firm in the faith, no matter what our culture or the world around us is doing. It is a privilege to be in the service of God in any capacity, be it big or small. So be encouraged. Even though it seems like everyone else is running headlong toward destruction, God has brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. And whether or not we minister in small ways or big ways, God is working all things for His glory and our good in the salvation of the elect and ultimately the reconciling of the world. Today on Standing Firm, we're going to talk about some issues that are disrupting the peace and quietness of the church. And it's all because we have and are still yet failing to protect the purity of the church in doctrine and practice. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, we are warned, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, if you're using the modern translation, like the ESV, it will be rendered something like, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Bauer's lexicon defines the two Greek words here as meaning bad company. Now for those who are attempting to interpret scripture through current culture, rather than making application of the text to current culture in its historical and grammatical meaning, this is not a reference to the iconic rock band known as Bad Company. Paul here is making a specific point upon the universal truth of God that immoral companions will corrupt you. The Corinthian church was not known for its purity, and Paul is simply reminding them that they will become like whom they associate with. Now we are seeing this truth playing out in the modern church in America as we continue to see pastors and professors and musicians and even those around us in our immediate midst sliding into heresy and apostasy. We are often bewildered at the pace and the degree of this modern apostasy, but the reality of such would not be a surprise to Paul or maybe even your grandfather who would say that if you lay down with dogs you are bound to get fleas. Now, What I do not mean is that we should become isolationists. Where our goal and desire is never to be in contact with sinners. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus ate and drank with sinners, and so must we if we want to be evangelistic. But that does not mean that we participate in, accept, or affirm their sin. This also means that we do not join the rousing chorus of public sentiment or accept humanistic and unbiblical principles, doctrines, or practices. Yet, this is where we have dropped the ball for several decades. 
And what we're witnessing today is that the chickens are now coming home to roost. Now there are several ways. We have for several decades sowed the seeds that have now grown up into a postmodern jungle. And so I want to deal with a few of these heretical ideas that are plaguing the church and our society today. Now these are in no particular order necessarily, but we just want to deal with some of the catchphrases that are based upon erroneous doctrines and principles that are leading many astray. The first one that we will mention briefly is the no creed but the Bible motto that began in the late 1800s. Now, as with all catchphrases of this nature, they sound spiritual, but in all actuality they are rotten to the core. What was really being said, and is still being said today, is that we need to cast off the historical and orthodox creeds and confessions. What they are saying is we do not want the old-time religion, but something new and different. But what really happened as a result of this movement to unhitch Christianity from its defining history is that we have now lost our religion. Now it has become commonplace to hear Christians talk about losing their religion. This is phrased in many different ways and primarily in the idea that Christianity is a relationship and not a religion. This, like all the examples we will use in this episode of Standing Firm, is ludicrous. It is so absurd that it has no meaning, which is what the intent of the philosophical construct is meant to accomplish. The idea of Christianity being a relationship and not a religion leaves Christianity without any meaning. Relationship is a very vague term in the way it is being applied to this topic today. The primary definitions of relationship have to do with familial affinity or kinship. The definition that conveys the context of what is attempting to be said is a state of affairs existing between those who have relations or affinity. Notice that a relationship is a state of affairs. And what I would ask of those who are advocating this relationship over religion is, what exactly do you mean by a state of affairs between you and God or you and Jesus? Dictionary.com probably comes the closest to the way most people are using the word relationship today. Their primary definition is a connection, association, or involvement. Their second definition is a connection between persons by blood or marriage. And their third definition is an emotional or other connection between people. I'm afraid what people are really communicating with their relationship over religion rhetoric is an emotional connection with Jesus, which, by the way, is so unbiblical that it should not need comment. But we live in a day, and we've declined so far in our society, both in the church and the civil realm, that we must address this nonsense because our whole society is governed by emotions. Christianity is not an emotion, which is simply a feeling. Emotion is psychic and physical reactions to being aroused or agitated, which begs the question, 
What are they even talking about then when they talk about a relationship instead of a religion? Well, there are numerous examples, but let's begin with a recent example. And there needs to be a little historical context, a little background as we lead into this. In 2013, Lauren Daigle released her first album. She's a Christian musician, and she released her first album titled Christmas, Joy to the World. It was an enjoyable collection of music for the holidays. Then, in 2015, she released her first regular album titled How Can It Be, containing one of my favorite songs, Trust in You. Just last week, her latest album came out called Look Up Child. Now, one of the things that I need to inform you about is that Lauren Daigle belongs to North Point Community Church, just outside of Atlanta, and whose senior pastor is Anley Stanley. Yes, the very same Andy Stanley who has recently said we need to unhitch the New Testament from the Old Testament, and who has reduced Christianity to the resurrection and the only real important scripture being the latter end of the Gospels and 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, 15 and maybe a few other references uh, to the resurrection. It's all part of this how low can you go trend in Christianity, resulting from it's a relationship, not a religion farce. So, in Lauren Daigle's new album, it contains a song called Losing My Religion. CBN News reported that Daigle commented on this song by saying, and I quote, I think one of the things that I've learned and one of the things that I'm embracing is the freedom of taking off the checked boxes, the rules, and all those things that kind of muddy up what faith actually is. Going into the next season of life in the remembrance of being a child. A child isn't thinking realms of capacity. They don't think, can I do this or can I not? End of quote. Quite frequently, the saints of God are referred as children in the Bible. We are to be followers of God as dear children, according to Paul in Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Yes, we are to be followers of God as dear children are obedient to their parents. But this does not mean that we are to be like children in every implication. Paul also states in 1 Corinthians 14.20, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be children, but in understanding be men. We are not to think like children and be carefree like children. Paul calls us to maturity in Christ, but notice what her understanding of losing her religion for a relationship means. She says it is the freedom of taking off the checked boxes, the rules, and all those things that muddy up what faith actually is. Well, what is faith actually then? Because James says that faith without works is dead. And then she compares it to a childlike state that is absent the thinking realms of capacity. Because they do not think about right and wrong, which she phrased as, can I do this or can I do that? But if that's not clear enough, her song, Losing My Religion, contains these lyrics. In parts of the song, she says, I have been an actor on a stage, 
playing a role I have to play. I'm getting tired, it's safe to say, living behind a masquerade. No more performing out of fear, trying to keep my conscience clear. It all seems so insincere, I'd trade it all to meet you here. I'm losing my religion, I'm losing my religion, I'm losing my religion, I'm losing my religion to find you. And then the bridge goes, I'm losing my religion and finding something new. I need something different, and different looks like you. I'm losing my religion and finding something new, because I need something different, and different looks like you. End of quote. An actor on a stage, role-playing, and she is tired of it, so she is leaving behind the masquerade. Combine this with the statement that it all seems so insincere, and this sounds like someone who has never regenerated. Therefore, she needs something different, and, it is look, and she is looking for something new. She is losing her religion in order to find a quote-unquote relationship. And by the way, it's no wonder. Let's consider the definition of religion. As it appears in Webster's 1828 Dictionary, where he defines it, and I quote, in its most comprehensive sense, includes a belief in the being and perfectness of God, in the revelation of his will to man, in his obligation to obey his commandments, in a state of reward and punishment, and in man's accountableness to God, and also true godliness or piety of life, with the practice of all moral duties. It therefore comprehends theology, as a system of doctrines and principles, as well as practical piety. For the practice of moral duties without a belief in the divine lawgiver, and without reference to his will or commands, is not religion. End of quote. Now I think we have found the real reason why so many are losing their religion today. They want a God on their level who is equal to them, and not the sovereign God who cannot dwell with sin. They want a God that they can have an emotional connection to, but they do not want a God that we can have access to only through repentance and saving faith in Jesus Christ. They want a God who will accept and affirm them in their sin, and not a God who demands obedience. The whole idea is to make institutional religion evil and individual autonomy the highest expression of Christianity. Second, let's consider another error that is rising in popularity, which is original intent instead of scriptural authority. Now, this can be a little confusing because politically, most conservatives believe in original intent in relation to the constitutions, both the federal constitution, the state constitutions, and, and uh, original laws, and, and uh, so forth. Lawful original intent actually is centered upon the text by which the American governmental system was established. Original intent is the idea of understanding the meaning of a particular provision of a state or federal constitution by determining how the provision was understood at the time it was first drafted and ratified. However, this is not what is meant in the current ecclesiastical original intent idea. Now, this began with the Jesus movement and their idea of returning to the first century church, an idea uh, 
where we need to return to the book of Acts in our defining of and practice of the church. This view sees the book of Acts as the original intent of the church. Now, the glaring problem with this idea is that the epistles were written for the order of the church. The book of Acts is an historical account that does contain defining elements, but it is a history of the apostolic era of the church. The epistles are the instructions given for the faith, order, and practice of the universal church. There was another element of, uh, to this that actually began with fundamentalism, at least of the dispensational persuasion. It was the unhitching of the Old Testament from the New Testament, which Andy Stanley is taking to a whole new level today. The problem here is that the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They do not contain contrasting doctrines, but only differences in administration. The Old Testament practices were observed in promise, and the New Testament practices are observed in fulfillment. The problem with this unhitching is that the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, is the progressive revelation of God. A foundation and framing is not a house, but you cannot unhitch the foundation and frame from a house. They depend upon each other and are part of the whole. What this does is that it separates Christianity from Scripture. Some are content with the New Testament. Others, like Andy Stanley, are good with a few verses from the Gospels and 1 Corinthians 15. But there is also arising a new application of these dismissing principles. This last one is being used by radical egalitarians and other Scripture-dismissing activists and it is the most radical and dangerous of them all. All the ones that have came before it, this one, of course, is um, a whole new level. Now, this rising premise is original intent based upon creation. It dismisses the whole revelation of Scripture for their presuppositions of what God's original intent was in creation. What this idea fails to acknowledge is that God's revelation in word was given for the very purpose of restoring and reconciling the world back unto himself and his original intent. But this phony original intent message is one that rejects everything God has said on issues like the family, the church, and civil government based upon their desires for the creation intent that's based upon their own presuppositions. Instead of acknowledging and worshiping God, they are using the so-called idea of original intent to worship and exalt the creature over God and his purpose and will. For example, they do not have to listen to the inspired words of Paul in Ephesians 5 because Paul's words are not God's original intent, but momentary bandages due to man's rebellion against God's original intent for complete equality. They do not have to obey Romans 13 because, according to their presuppositions, God did not intend for man to be ruled by other men. They do not have to follow Romans 13 because God did not intend for mankind to be instructed by pastors because everyone is to be a king and a priest. Now, we need to be careful here and not become reactionary to the current trends because the Bible does talk about relationships and even describes 
the Christians standing with God through Jesus Christ as children to a father, servants to a master, subjects unto a king, and a wife unto a husband. But this does not mean that Christianity is centered and primarily focused on the relational in terms and conditions that pertain to equals in an emotional uh, connection. The problem with the relational emphasis today is that it is based upon an egalitarian concept of two parties, two equal parties, in a romantic relationship. However, this is not the way the Bible presents our relationship to God. First, we are not even able to come into relationship to God on our own. This relationship is based upon God condescending to us and not us rising up to God. It is only through the merits and work of Jesus Christ that we have access to God. It is not by our merits or our works. Second, we have already mentioned this, these descriptions of our relationship to God like that of a father and a son. Notice God is higher. He's higher than. And the authority, and, and he is the authority over us, just like the example of a master and a slave, a king and his subjects, and a husband and his wife. It is the husband and wife analogy that everyone focuses upon today because we live in an egalitarian age. And to them, this is not just a statement of emotional connection, but of equality. When you are equal, you do not have to obey the terms and conditions of the relationship that have been imposed upon you by the higher than. Because you, yourself, have the authority to define them just as much as the other party. Therefore, we can rise up and declare that Christianity is not about obedience because we, are no, longer, we no longer view marriage covenant as a covenant where the wife pledges to love and to obey. It's not about obedience, but a love that is defined and practiced as an emotional connection, a feeling of ecstasy, a euphoric state, <coughs> a euphoric spiritual state that is based upon individual inspiration that is so intoxicating it puts us in a trance where we are exalted to the heavenly. It is in this sense that we can say that the modern idea of relationship is heretical. Remember our definition of religion earlier in the podcast. Christianity is a belief in the being and perfectness of God, in the revelation to his will to man, in his obligation to obey his commandments, in a state of reward and punishment, and in man's accountableness to God and also true godliness or piety of life with the practice of all moral duties. It therefore comprehends theology as a system of doctrines and practices as well as practical piety. For the practice of moral duties without a belief in a divine lawgiver and without reference to his will or commands is not religion. This is true Christianity. But isn't this the point that those who are rejecting the authority of Holy Scripture are trying to make? They are creating something new that is not the religion of Jesus Christ, but their own emotional connection to a free love hippie Jesus 
where love is love. Thank you for listening to this episode of Standing Firm. We hope that you will join us again next time right here at Standing Firm. Until then, may God bless and may God send regeneration, revival, and reformation. Thank you for listening to Standing Firm. Please consider helping us in this battle for Christendom as we assault the gates of hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can write us at Reformed Church of the Holy Trinity, P.O. Box 1125, Mooresville, Indiana, 46158. That is Reformed Church of the Holy Trinity, P.O. Box 1125, Mooresville, Indiana, 46158. Or you can visit us online at reformedholytrinity.org.